This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. breathe yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Get ready for some real talk with your hosts, Judy Cho and Laura Spath. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And today we're kind of going to take a deep dive into this really exciting project.、Uh, I think we've announced on this podcast before the、uh, carnivore book that Judy has written and、uh, features some no, recipes. No, we never brought it up. We, we have never, not brought it up. We、yet. haven't even brought、no. it up at all at all? No. Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> okay, well, then this、yeah. is the, I thought we like teased it. Maybe we just teased that there's a project coming. Okay, so this is even more exciting. Official announcement. <laughs> uh, Judy has written a carnivore diet for beginners book. What's the official、uh, title? Let me go on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> this is so typical, us.、Oh, I love this. Okay, so、uh, there is an official book. I think this is exciting, and I'm excited for Judy to tell you like, where this came from and what happened with it. But how many times on this podcast, Judy, have we talked about there is a lack of like, singular voice in the community explaining? The basics of what is a carnivore diet, why you should do it. And it's just so necessary. And I know you've been talking about like somebody needs to write a beginner's guide for so long. And finally, I think, you know, I want you to explain more the mindset and stuff when we get into it. But like at some point, nobody else was doing it. And so you went, great, here we go. I'm going to do it because there needs to be one done. And, and I, I know if anybody's going to do it right, you will. Um, which is why I'm、okay. so excited that this is a project that you had decided to take on in a true labor of love. Cause this is a huge time project that you like basically set aside everything else for to work on.、Uh, and I'm so excited that this is going to be available for everybody. 
Um, let me caveat what I'm going to say with this. I know that some people will say, no, there's a lot of carnivore beginners guides. We let's just, you know, have some real talk. And we have Paul Saladino's, which I supported that book, but it has pivoted a lot to fruits. And then if you follow his content now, it's very fruit heavy and honey heavy and two to 300 grams of carbs heavy per day. So But that is unfortunately the number one selling book in the carnivore community. So when people hear about carnivore, they'll hear that. And then there's Sean Baker's book, but I've never read that book just because I was writing carnivore here. So I wanted to make sure that it's, um, that I'm not getting ideas from his book. But from my understanding, and Laura, I know you're part of that book. Yep. But it's more anecdotal from my understanding or what I've heard from other people. It's more, that's still very powerful, but it's a lot of, here are people that have healed from this diet and rather yeah, than he does break down a little bit of the plants, oh, okay. but it's more, it is more just like, Hey, based on research and it gives some like very high level overview. It's almost like a precursor to a deeper dive, right? If that makes sense. Okay. So in some ways it was this one extreme of just general information and then carnivore cure that you wrote is much more in depth, much more uh, nuanced. Right. It dives into the science. It's very science heavy, you know, and, and I think there wasn't anything in between that right. really showed people how to do carnivore as an elimination diet and broke down like something more than meat, good plants, bad, you know, like yeah. it needed a woman's take on everything. <laughs> let's be honest. Nothing. I mean, listen, I agree with you. No offense to, to anybody else, but I think there just wasn't this linear explanation of a uh, carnivore. One of the reasons I can do a beginner's guide is because I work with some of the most complicated cases and I did carnivore cure. So what we had to really do with this book is reel everything back. So when I wanted to go into level 10 of in-depth on a certain topic, for example, vitamin A, toxicity possible with liver, we touch upon it, but I have to reel it back. So I say I can only go to depth two as an example. And so that's how this book is all written out. I never wanted to start with beginner's guide information because I felt that I try to do that with carnivore care. Obviously, it's not really a beginner's guide. It's very, very in-depth, but if and you I don't... Think- Sorry, let me back up and say that's what your idea with Carnivore Cure was, was to write this like beginner's guide to carnivore almost. But because you discovered along the way, and like you said, the clients that you deal with and the people that you encounter are dealing with such complicated issues. And kind of at the same time you were writing that book, you were realizing how complicated people's health was and that carnivore was able to heal some of these complicated things. That book ended up being a lot more research heavy, complicated, important uh, than what you had originally intended when you wrote it because you went down all of these rabbit holes with research and science. Yes, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. It's trying to, it was trying to make a comprehensive carnivore book with all these nuances, but all the nuances made it so complex. And so I, we, one of the biggest complaints we've received on our book is you said it's an elimination diet, but I don't get to the elimination diet until chapter 11 or 12, or I forgot what chapter. And there's so much information, it's overwhelming. So like, that's another thing that we've, so I've taken all of the feedback or the feedback I have been exposed to and tried to write this beginner's guide in a way that it's tactical and tangible. So 
in many of the sections, there's a, at the end of it, it'll say like the carnivore advantage. So what is it about insulin resistance or obesity or type two diabetes? Like what is the benefit of going carnivore with that? And there's like a really small blurb on it. And so it just makes it much more friendly, much more tactical. And then we start the difference with carnivore cure is that carnivore cure just goes into, here's all the foods we eat. And then we start whittling down where all the problems of all these different foods, especially plant-based process, et cetera. But in this one, we start with disease. So here's all the diseases. Here's how you can support your disease with this diet. And so then what is this diet? And then the explanation, and it just gets, it just gets a lot more to the point with people that are just struggling with the metabolic syndrome and illnesses that standard care is not fully helping them with. Yeah, it's almost just like this basic how to, why and how to implement a elimination carnivore diet. And then we'll, we'll have you walk through like what the chapters are and break that down a little bit. Um, and then this would almost be like the first step that people would want to take on if they were looking to implement a carnivore diet. And then if you do all the things in this book and it's still not working and you're still not healing, then carnivore cure is this right. way to get very advanced to take specific nutrients, to take, you know, more complicated, more complex health issues that you're experiencing, and then try to address it there. One of the differences with the beginner's guide and carnivore cure is that the carnivore cure book is mine. I have been asked by different publishers to break up the book before I even released it, and that they would own it. But I knew that I was getting and I talk with so many different authors, and they all told me that you are releasing your right to the book. So if you are okay with it getting distributed, but not having the flexibility of the graphics you um, input, but I decided forget it, I'm not going to do that. So I we own our book. And with that, I have the flexibility of adding 500 graphics versus two versus however layout I want it as. Which Whereas, for Carnivore Cure, that is why it ended up being so expensive is because it's such quality paper, so many colored graphics, like no publisher would have ever let you do that. And so it's like you wanted to include all of the science, all the research, all those specific graphics and color um, and have it be exactly what you wanted it to be. Yeah, for Carnivore Cure. I'm trying to like distinguish because we're kind of talking about two books just so people understand. So let's let's go back and talk about the beginner's guide and like maybe where that came from and and how you're um, decided to do this in the first place. So I always wanted to do a beginner's guide. I didn't think it was the time. I didn't honestly think it was the time even now, but a publisher reached out to me. I think this was the third one and, um, and I'm very grateful. So I'm not saying that I realize that comes off like, Ooh, you're so cool. But so I, I have said no to everybody, but I decided, you know what, maybe the time is right. Um, I think it was also because at that point, the honey kick was really big. The repeat yeah. pro-metabolic honey fruit. At that point, I said, yeah, I think it's time. Just to be fully candid, we didn't have a lot of wiggle room to even do this book, but I felt like it was necessary. We're not going to get a ton of money from this book, but it was the exposure. It was the ability to just have a beginner's guide that we feel that is a true representation of carnivore yeah, or looking for a book that would be accessible, something that's in like the Costco tables, you know, like the publisher who um, is helping would was is a part of this book with you is one that's saying like, hey, we want to get this into bookstores. We want to get this into grocery store tables like people walking around Costco could see this and realize, oh, it's a beginner's guide. Like they flip through, they see some graphics, they see some 
information. It doesn't feel overwhelming. And it's something that's accessible to friends and family. And you could give this book to somebody who's looking for a basic intro on how to start a carnivore diet. Yeah. I mean, we touch upon everything. So we'll talk about plant toxins. We talk about illnesses, dietary carbs, and the fallacies around them, but it doesn't touch it in a way that it gets too complex. And we touch on the nuances so that if people, maybe if they do carnivore for a little bit and it doesn't work, maybe here's some troubleshooting and stuff. I I believe that it is written for the average person that even if they're busy, there's a handful of pictures, although they cut a lot of my graphics, but that's okay. But there's still a lot of images, lots of graphics. It's still in color. Uh, That was something I very much advocated for. And then there's recipes by Laura. So there's a lot of information that if you want to just get started, if you're curious, if you want somebody that doesn't understand the diet, that is curious to even understand it for you, it's probably the best book to start with, in my opinion. Awesome. Um, well, first of all, before we get into like breaking it down, when this book is available now on Amazon, you can pre-order it, but right. it will be fully released on December 26th uh, of this year. So you could pre-order it and use it as like a wrap up a pre-order form for Christmas for somebody, but it will be delivered the day after Christmas. So we still have some time uh, until it launches, but uh, yeah, it is available. It's exciting. You can buy it, uh, pre-order it now on Amazon. And my understanding, so I I found the title. (laughs) So let me just tell you guys, working with a publisher, you have a little bit of say, but there is so much wiggle room or not wiggle room of everything whether it's the graphics, the layout, the colors, the front cover, the front covers, images, everything gets vetted multiple times. So that's why I don't know exactly what the title was, but it's The Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners, Your Practical Guide to an All-Meat Lifestyle. Having said all that, this publisher is the most flexible of all of the ones that I was planning on working with. I am really happy with the people we went with. And everything in the book is yours. It's your writing. It's your ideas like there were things that they wanted you to cut or implement and you were able to voice your opinion so it is your I mean they had suggestions and edits but at least like this is what you wanted to write yeah they didn't say here's a chapter you must include like I had a different publisher that said here's all the chapters here's you get 300 word allotment here 600 here here's a section for here's how you quickly lose weight here's how you moderately lose weight and i said no wow. i am never doing a book like that sorry yeah yeah, yeah. It, they gave me free reign with the writing there is never a place where they said no you should actually include this they may challenge me where they say that sentence sounds super biased um from a carnivore perspective of no other diet does this well, right? Something like that. So I would change. And so I think that's helpful. It's helpful for us to be able to sound not biased when we are writing a carnivore book so that somebody that's even plant-based can read it without feeling, oh my gosh, look at her narrative, right? You don't want that to come across. So I, I did find that, I guess, exercises we did to be very, very beneficial. And I will absolutely use that in carnivore care because I know that my carnivore care book has a lot of biases in that way. But I forgot the question you asked. <laughs> oh, we were going to talk about chapters next, but oh, okay, that was okay. it. I just, I more wanted to clarify that like, this is all of your writing. Right, right. And uh, we had a lot of graphics that they did cut some and for various reasons, but they even let me pick the designer and it was cool. So there was a lot of good things about working with them. Yes, it is our, what we believe at Nutrition with Judy in terms of what we feel that is a true carnivore all meat 
diet. Yeah, absolutely. That's this is why I'm so excited for uh, people to be able to to read this and have access to this information. Um, so talk. Let's talk through like uh, what some of the chapters are and the different sections. We start with a lot of the diseases, right? So why why would we even consider this way of eating? And we challenge the low fat plant based nutritional failures. And in mm-hmm. that, we talk about all the diseases or many of the modern diseases. So obesity, type two diabetes, and we talk about the different illnesses. And again, we don't go too deep into it. We just, I think they left this in, but there's like an image of an insulin ball with uh, sugar trying to go into it, right? And it's not, it's not going in properly. Or another chapter is why dietary carbohydrates are unnecessary. So a lot of the the concerns about carnivore or the misinformation about carnivore is addressed. But again, it's just addressed at a level that it's not, it doesn't go super into the biochemistry that it then loses people. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like this first section, hopefully will people will see, oh, I have this condition. I have this situation. Or like you said, there's a, there's a chapter on uh, carbs being unnecessary, like for people to go into this book and read everything else and, and be open-minded enough to it. They kind of have to be bought into the fact that we don't need carbs for health. And so that's something that's addressed really early on, which I think is beneficial. Yeah. I was talking to the editor who has edited or she was a developmental editor. I worked with a few editors with them, but she has worked on projects that are just plant-based. So where it was frustrating is because they needed me to cut down the words, but for every other diet, you don't have to prove that plants are healthy, right? right? Like if you're a vegetarian, you don't have to say you should eat broccoli because here's all the X, Y, Z reasons meats are bad. There's just an assumption that broccoli is good for you. So then you just add to that knowledge and say, we really want to eat broccoli because here's all the nutrients in broccoli. And so you don't have to make a case, but in any carnivore book, why it's so difficult is first of all, you have to sell people on the diet itself. And then once you sell it, then you can, or make the case, and then you can go into the nuances of the diet. But there is a two-part prong part of this whole book or any carnivore book where you have to sort of prove why saturated fats aren't bad, why cholesterol is not the issue, why even dietary fiber is not something that we should be consuming, why a ton of vitamin C isn't needed as an example. Yeah, that's so interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're doing double the work, right? Like you said, you have to not only prove red meat isn't bad, but that maybe plants are the things that are causing you issues. Right. No, exactly. And that's why I thought when we left each chapter or section with the the carnivore advantage, um, especially in the disease section, we talk specifically about how the diet can actually help that illness be supported or better supported or even reversed. And I think that's where, again, this book is very powerful because it I think if you jump into any chapter, it should be pretty much an easy read. Yeah. And then to have some like action items and takeaways listed out for you at the end uh, on the kind of the key points is great. Yeah. There's, I I believe there's three parts to the book. The first part is making the case for why carnivore is ideal, why low carbohydrates is an ideal diet. And then the next section is just getting started. So what types 
uh, meats. We talk about the different varieties of carnivore and uh, we talk about sourcing and different types of meats, uh, macros, and then how to transition. What is a uh, carnivore rainbow that I always talk about eating the variety. And then we have a whole section on beyond carnivore. So a lot of us struggle with socializing with carno- a carnivore diet. How do we get the buy-in from our family? So there's a little bit of that information. There's lifestyle factors. Obviously, we will talk about environment, hydration, stress, sleep, etc. And then there's troubleshooting, reintroductions, um, and then sample meal plans. So it's, again, it's, it's very tactical. And I try to make it in a way that is very, very user-friendly. Yeah, I'm excited. I think that this would be something that people who are not already bought into carnivore um, like you said, can start at the beginning, hopefully absorb that information and then have some ways to implement it. And it would really address like the basic ways to start a carnivore diet. And then, like you said, to troubleshoot, to make it work for your life. Hopefully within this, they can, people can figure out what right. works for them um, and play around with macros and and all that stuff based on information that you give in the book. One big reason we wrote this book, our Nutrition with Judy mission statement says that we try to empower and educate people so that wellness is accessible for everyone. I know it's expensive to work with us. I know Carnivore Cure is not very cheap to buy. Um, maybe the ebook is m- more reasonably priced, but I know that. Right now, when we are out of the paperback, we literally thought of maybe we just have Amazon printed on their own platform. And they said the minimum you could charge is $65 for us to break even mm. because it's just that expensive with all the color. And so we we can't even charge it that way. I mean, we could have done that, but it's just, we think it's kind of ridiculous. So we're not doing that. And instead, we just don't have a paperback right now. And I thought if I went with the publisher, they can reduce the price because they have big purchasing powers and they have accessibility to other countries. That's another issue where somebody in Australia or Canada wants to buy our book. We literally have to ship it from America because we don't have the manpower or resource power to open an Amazon store in every country and then ship all our products out there. So for every country, we would have to do that. We're just a really small company in that sense. So we ship it from here, but then they're paying more for the shipping cost because the book is heavy. So then people pay like almost $80 to get the book. And I feel so bad and I'm very mindful of all of that. So I was hoping that working with a publisher, this company I think is based out of the UK, even though they have a big imprint in America. And so I'm hoping that one, it'll reach international levels and two, it's way cheaper than Carnivore Cure so that it is accessible and that we are fulfilling our mission statement as a company. Yeah. And I don't know like if you want me to share or not, but I'll share it. Like you make a fraction of the cost of the money by going through a publisher. Like essentially when you have your own book, it's so much more work. It's so much more risk for you. Like Carnivore Cure was you, the risk you paid all this money up front to get all the books and you guys shipped them all out by hand initially. And it's just a huge labor cost for you, but then you make a a certain dollar amount per book with a publisher. You almost make almost nothing per book. Like whether it sells a million copies or a hundred copies or 10 copies, you it's very little difference in price for you as an author, but you get an upfront fee. So there's less risk involved. You obviously had to do all of this work, but the publisher is taking on the responsibility and the labor and the work to distribute this. And the, the goal is that it goes wider But then if let's say it blows up and goes international and goes viral, the publisher is the one who's reaping the rewards of that risk because they're taking their chance on you that like, you know, and taking absorbing all of that risk. So like 
it's a totally different financial situation as an author. Um, but the hope is that then this is the message is shared. And I think that's why you did it this way with a publisher is you've obviously written a book on your own and you know how to do that and that and what that entails. But this, the hope is that it then has the opportunity to go wider and reaches more people, even though that means you personally make a lot less money, right, which is obviously, right. you know, like the goal for you is to help a lot of people as more people as possible. Right. And I think most people, I, the life cycle of an author Let's say you get bigger on social media for your presence on YouTube, Instagram. Most people will get contacted from a publisher saying they want to write a book, which kind of happened to me too. But, and then they'll, instead of learning how to create a book, which is a lot of work and energy and learning something from scratch is very difficult. I think of it as building a home from scratch. And so knowing, do you need the electrician there first or do you need the plumber there first? Or do you have the person that's going to put in the windows versus somebody that's, saying, hey, we just need you to write the content, maybe have some graphics. I think most authors aren't expected to have graphics. I said I wanted graphics. And so that's the difference with us. So then you think of it as, okay, so you already have a structure. All you're doing is putting in the furniture. So that would be the level of effort in terms of difference. Most people, they will work with a publisher, then they get bigger, and then they'll create their own book, especially from a financial perspective. Now, if the book blows up, so if it hits millions, I will get a royalty, but it's very small. And I mean, let's be honest, will a carnivore book really reach millions? I would love for that to happen. I would love for our diet to hit millions, but that is not truly practical, but that would be awesome. This was really for not only just exposure, but it was that commitment to getting this content accessible for many, many, and that it is an all meat carnivore diet and not a carnivore ish diet that has been going around. Yeah. And this also makes it because of this, it makes it more affordable um, to the consumer, like to the purchaser, because like you said, they have these huge networks and systems in place where they're able to distribute things at a much cheaper cost than you were when you're trying to just source it all on your own individually. Yeah. I learned some cool things. So when they sign with a author, they can pitch your book to the people that are buying books in like the targets and Costco's that early. So then they have a say, those same people have a say in what they would like to see your cover look like. Like, oh, I am interested oh. in Judy's book. <laughs> so that's why the cover looks the way it is. They didn't, some of the recommendations from some of these buyers was we do not want raw meat on the cover. Or a white background. Or a white. So I really wanted a white background and they're like, no, it gets lost. And so I had no say. And they said, black covers tend to pop. Um, I still will not make my carnivore cure or my second edition be black, but that's okay. So yeah. It's, yeah. Or it's- I wonder, honestly, if they just get dirtier in the stores and then they mm-hmm. have to, I think I'm sure it has something to oh, do with pop, too. but also imagine if they're shipped in boxes and then put on store shelves and moved around a lot. They probably are having a lot of damaged products being removed, especially if they have a jacket on them and they're getting right. wrinkled and, and dirty. They're probably, I'm assuming that has something to do with the color as well. I totally am making that up, but that would be my guess. I mean, it makes logical sense, but Maybe it's because the website is white, and so they say it bleeds into the background. It's It was interesting to me that they already shop around people's books prior Before to, it's even written. Right. And so then they those people have a say of, I am, as a buyer, I'll consider, like, I am interested in this book, but I don't want the cover to have some things. Um, like, we know what will sell, right? Because all, all of it for them comes down to numbers. Like, will this sell? And if it does sell, like we know what sells. So here's our recommendations. 
And so it's interesting. So what they did give me in the front is a little bit of blue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At least so it's branded with the Nutrition with Judy colors, which we know how important branding is to you. (laughs) It's so funny. So I was like, okay, it's black and a little bit of blue, but that's okay. So let me say, like, after this book, what is next? Like, you're rewriting Carnivore Cure, and that's still going to be back with yourself again. But then any plans in 2024 to write more books? Or or are we, is this like, a, I've written the two books that I would want to write, and now you're back to um, working with clients? And I mean, you've been doing that all along right, at right. the same time. But what are your plans uh, next after this? Our book will be releasing after this book. And I don't know if it'll be called Carnivore Cure anymore. And just being wholly honest with this podcast, the fact that it says cure sounds like it's a medical intervention that can fix people. And so we are not able to reach a lot of people. So as an example, Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, they will not let us advertise our book at all Mm. um, because they say you said it's a cure and that's hocus pocus. And I've talked to other people. So I guess there was a paleo cure, the a keto cure, and all of them have either just retired the book or they have changed the name. We'll see. Uh, but as to your specific question, no, I think we'll do a carnivore cure like recipe book and only not because I'm a recipe creator because I so that is not me, but just so that people can know how to follow the elimination protocol, right? So like yeah. in the first stage or first phase, how do you what do you actually eat? And here's some recipe samples. Um, so we'll probably do one of those. But my heart is in doing children's books. So I really, really, really want to do children's books on eating a carnivore diet. And it's not even eating carnivore, but just animal meats and proteins are friendly in a book. So I imagine maybe I do a two kid story with my boys. And and then it's like their journey, right? Their journey eating lunch boxes at school. And then it's like how they feel box. when they eat yes. sugar and then how they feel when they eat meat. Right. Or and then like a, on a journey of uh, on a field trip and then they're all eating snacks and it just so happens that they have more energy, right? Of I'm going to be big and strong eating my chicken leg instead of all of the books that always are they're carrying an apple or fighting with a carrot. Um, there is no information with kids of but there's books on like Charlotte's Web, don't eat the animal, right? Like there's so much of that, but no of I will be big and strong with animal proteins. So my heart is there. I have no idea how we would do that, but I think I'm naturally an author. That is my heart. And, And so I think I will always produce books, but they will be different types of books over yeah. the years. You can uh, cut this out if you don't want to answer it. But um, when you're rethinking about doing carnivore cure, I just am curious if your perspective has changed on, like you said, calling it carnivore cure, like it can heal you because you've gone down this path of realizing that carnivore can't fix everything and everybody and SIRS and understanding that sometimes the diet doesn't fix everything. I think at the time when you wrote carnivore cure, it was a the diet will fix you 100%. So like, has your perspective changed now in thinking about re-releasing Carnivore Cure and why you would want to call it something different as well? Yeah. um, No, the title is truly because of the the marketing part um, and just the ability to reach because again, the word cure, which I didn't even think about. I just thought it sounded kind of cool, right? Yeah. But I did, you're right. I did believe that anybody eating a strict carnivore diet can get fixed. I thought- 
There, look, look at the paleo medicina group in Hungary that is fixing people with cancer. They have studies released. And that was just my naivete, to be fully honest, because as I worked with more and more complex cases, I would argue that we have as complex cases as the people at, um, at PKD. And then I've just seen the writing on the wall of, oh, you only release certain studies that show the efficaciousness, right? Right. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Like if we have a thousand carnivore clients, I'll probably release a study with 500 of them showing the benefits of carnivore. So then what about all the other 500? I know that's how papers are released anyway, but I think I was just so naive and thought it fixes everybody. And I know that it doesn't, but it has not changed my stance on carnivore in the sense of, I absolutely believe that people with SIRS should be eating a carnivore diet. And if anything, they should be eating the stricter versions. Yeah. And that is my battle I've been going through with the SIRS community. A lot of them are still pro-fiber. Um, there's people that feel like, no, the diet is not that important. And it's crazy because it's an inflammatory diet or an f- inflammatory illness. And they're saying that you could eat whatever you want because processed food doesn't cause inflammation. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, so yeah. I still feel... That if you can just silence the noise from food um, and reduce the inflammation from any kinds of food, that is a win for any type of illness that you are then suffering from. So I still believe that carnivore is the baseline, but no, I don't think carnivore fixes everything. I think it's carnivore plus other things that is so, so incredibly powerful. Yeah. And then understanding that it, in time, you should be healthy enough that you could reintroduce yes. some foods. And then going back to the beginner's guide, like you have a chapter on reintroductions itself to say, like, whether you want to or not, you don't need to. But if you choose to reintroduce some foods, here's the one that would be the least inflammatory. And here's the ones that would be um, the least negative, I guess, if uh, or things that would bother you the least. Yeah. I mean, let me let me ask you. So you know, you, you obviously didn't have food sensitivities. You were struggling with some of the, I don't know, food addiction, let's just call it. But, um, but I don't think you only did carnivore and then didn't work on your mind. I feel like you did a lot of work. So do you think carnivore itself without learning anything else, like any of the podcasts you listen to the books, et cetera, do you think you would be as healed as you are now? Oh, no. I think I would still be obsessed with being strict and being perfect all the time. And I think that I know my I'm learning my boundaries on what I can tolerate and what I can't. But I wouldn't tell anybody or pretend like I'm 100% strict 100% of the time. Um, And I think most people wouldn't call me that. They see me eat spices and some uh, things like that. Or I mean, I joke about pickles, but there's other things now that I can eat that don't make me overeat that don't cause all these sugar cravings and that don't cause me issues. But, um, like maybe there is this element of accountability that I have from who I've become online or who I am and this lifestyle that I represent to guide people to hopefully finding what works for them. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know how strict people have to be long term or need to be. Uh, I think most people can't go back to having like pizza once a week or some other things like that. But, you know, if I were to eat a salad one day, it probably wouldn't bother me. But after like two or three days, I'm going to get constipated. I'm going to get some digestive issues. I'm going to have some bloating. Right. So I do feel better at a baseline of strict carnivore from a health perspective. Um, but mentally, I think if I was obsessed with being strict all the time, then that would just be me replacing one food addiction with another food addiction. Right. Um, and I had to kind of check myself on that. 
um, to be honest, like just to make sure that I wasn't being obsessive just because this was like these, you know, like it's a part of an eating disorder to say these are my safe foods and this is all I will eat because otherwise what might happen to me, right? It's a difference if like from a health perspective and surrogates, those foods trigger you to have health issues. But like if I was scared from a mental perspective, I, I could have very easily stayed there if I hadn't done the other work um, internally. Yeah. Um, we have clients that swear they don't have eating disorders or disordered eating, but they only eat certain foods, which they know exactly the calories. So they're like, I don't calorie count. I don't, I just eat what I, and it's right. when you start going down their list, it's literally, they eat the same foods because they know exactly what it does to their body and their calories. And they maintain their weight that way. And we challenge them. We say, you have to eat something different and they do not want to eat something different. Yeah. And that's how you know they're not fully healed. And our practice is all about getting to root cause. So um, I, I do think there's a reason why people always say mind, body, and spirit. There are different components to us. And the diet helps us. Like, this is one thing I brought up to the SIRS community. But yes, maybe the diet will not fix SIRS. But if you don't have the energy because you're eating a, pro- a bunch of processed junk, how would you even consider starting to find people to fix your home? Like, how would you have the energy to call people or think about what in this room do I have to change? If you struggle with brain fog because of the mold, for example, but you have brain fog also from the inflammation from your processed food, I don't know, like your cup of noodles, how are you going to function to fix your home? Like, I I just find it so mind boggling that people don't think diet is a big deal. Well, you uh, don't know what's the SIRS and what's the symptoms from SIRS and what's food. Because we all know sometimes how you could be feeling fine and you eat something and just feel like trash or you drink alcohol and you're hungover. Like food can impact your body in the same way. And you're having all these symptoms from only food. My only drug in life has been food. And yet I know how terrible that would make me feel. And so eliminating all of those symptoms... I then realized I don't have any other underlying symptoms, right? But somebody else would say, okay, this is the SIRS part of it, or this is the symptoms from the my other root cause issues that I'm experiencing right. because I've eliminated all of the symptoms that are coming from food. Yeah. So I, I still really feel that the diet is such a strong baseline because one, it gives you nutrition so that you can combat whatever you are, even if it's extra stress. Everything that happens to your body and mind requires nutrients. Like it's just a very simple thing. When you are stressed, your body requires more vitamin Bs. It requires more salt. So if you're not eating enough or eating nutrient-dense foods, like what can your body take from cup of noodles if that's what you're eating for lunch? And I know that sounds silly, but there are people that eat cup of noodles for lunch. If that's what you're giving your body, how can it heal from whatever disease? And then on top of that, if you are adding the cup of noodles or adding the toxic food, then it's also giving more to your immune system that your body has to fight, right? So whatever ingredients are in the cup of noodles in that broth, your body has to sift through all of that, whether it's through your liver, or through your immune system, your gut, to figure out what is safe and what is not. And when it's unsafe, it has to get the immune system attacking that first. And it has to ignore if you're suffering from Lyme or heavy metals or anything else. And there goes your toxic bucket. It's going to feel full and you'll feel even worse. Yeah. And I think that's where, like we keep saying, you have to get to the root cause of your other health issues. And that's the two-parter thing. This is the two-part is if all you can eat is only meat and you have to be on a 100% rigid, strict carnivore diet, 
there's one of two things going on. And one of them is physical root cause issue that needs to be healed. And that's what Judy's talking about. And for me, the other thing is food addiction. And you have, you are struggling with, you still are struggling with some type of disordered eating if you mentally cannot handle eating anything else outside of these specific safe foods. And that doesn't mean, I don't think you should have to force yourself to be able to eat one Oreo, but you can't be so scared of a spice or eating in a restaurant or, you know, having a something else, a plant of any kind, right? A piece of asparagus or something. There has to be something that you are not scared of outside of those things. And if, and that's, that's another huge part of it. I think the other thing too is, sustainability. And we talk about this all the time, but you have to be able to live your life and you have to live a life that you want to live. And if you are incapable of eating other foods, like that's something that needs to be addressed. But I think people just can't be so scared to eat other things that they end up completely falling off the wagon because it's just such a rigid life that it's unsustainable for them. Right? Yeah, they I mean, can't I- eat with friends. They can't socialize. They can't enjoy, you know, traveling. They can't do anything else because they're so scared of eating food outside of their home. Yeah, when I was first carnivore, there wasn't a lot of content. I mean, there were zero infographics when I started. And that's the only reason I created the infographics. I was bored at home and I was on disability. And I thought, well, there's all these keto graphics, like maybe I can create some for and I was just trying to have an outlet because I was home um, on disability as a stay at home mom. And during that time, all the messaging was strict, strict carnivores, carnivore harder. Yeah. Um, there wasn't as much of the organ meats at that time. But so that's what I thought was carnivore. And so any day, if there was a little bit of sugar in the rub, or if I had a little bit of a plant, like a plant would, or a sugar-free gum or a soda would then have me spiral and say, I cheated on carnivore. And so today's a lost day. And because of those little, yeah. little infractions, I would end up in a binge. And so that's why my first year was so hard on carnivore because I thought all the people that are 10 year carnivores, that's how they eat. They only eat meat with only salt and they only drink water and any deviation from that, you are not carnivore. And I used to follow that to the T, but I stumbled so much my first year. And then, and I still struggled until I started working with others and realizing that's a freaking fallacy. And so that's when I started shifting because I don't stand up well for myself, but I for dang sure stand up well for the community or for my clientele or for my patients. And when I saw that, that's when I became outspoken about actually the carnivore harder doesn't really work and it's honestly not sustainable and it triggers people to become orthorexic or feel like it's either you fail or you're win- you win and it's nearly impossible to win with those types of rules. Yeah, I don't think that's sustainable for almost anybody unless there's some kind of severe issue going on. And we've said this time and time again, the people who are 100% strict forever are sick. And that's either physically or or mentally. I truly Or people aren't sharing the truth online. I mean, I'll call it That is also huge. Yeah, like I I would question if people are 100% strict. Like there's people I could point to that say, yeah, they're 100% strict because they're physically unable to eat anything else. And every time they eat everything, something else- right? We all are thinking of probably the same person that they have these huge reactions, but guess what? They don't want to eat that way. They would love to incorporate other foods. They would love to have other things, but they physically can't. And so they are trying desperately to heal the root cause issues. But if somebody is out here saying, I only eat this, I haven't eaten a bite of anything else in all of these years and either they're lying or they have a problem. 
like a yes, I totally yeah. no, 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 I totally agree. Addiction. I don't. I just was looking at you like, wow, we went, we went here. I was not expecting this today. <laughs> this is like, oh, but it's true. Like, I think it's important for people to use carnivore as a tool, but it is not what is going to fix all of these things. It is an important tool, but it is a hammer in a toolbox. And you are so right. Like it was not the only tool that fixed me and my issues. It's a tool that I utilize often and regularly, but it is not the only tool that I have in my toolbox in order to heal myself and to live this healthy and sustainable life. Same with me. I mean, I feel that it was carnivore that helped me start getting my mind right. There was a lot of God involved afterward, right? So that's when I started reading scripture and just lots of other things that supported me to stay strong. And it was the mission to uh, help people out. And if I, if I want to help people, I have to be a beacon of hope. And if I have to be a beacon of hope, I can't have days where I'm struggling and eating off plan and going crazy. Right. So that's where it was just more than the diet that keeps me motivated. And I've said this to you. I don't know if we ever said it on the recording, but I said, if I was never public facing, I was never seeing clients. I was never doing any of this work. And I just had a normal eight to five job. I don't know if I'd be as consistent because I know that I have no one to speak to, um, or be held accountable for. And so when people say, how do you stay so strong? I think that's some of it. And it's just, that's not fair for everybody else. That's just has the eight to five and lives a normal job. And I get it. I think this comes full circle of why I write these books. I, I wanted carnivore to be accessible to people and have grace when they're not perfect, but you don't have to be perfect to heal. And I see it with my clientele. Yes, if you have that, the strict illnesses of autoimmune, maybe, but otherwise, even with autoimmune, you may not heal with just carnivore. I've seen it in our community. And so that's where, you know, I want to challenge the people that have been 10, 15 years carnivore and says, you only need to eat meat and everything will resolve because I call BS on that. And so that's why we have the books. We are doing the summit because I'm saying, actually, there's a lot more to carnivore than just that. And I'm hoping that people can find their voice with one of the speakers or one of the chapters in the book or one of our podcasts to say, okay, what I'm doing is good. I just need to maybe find more root cause um, avenues to look into, or maybe I just need more time, or maybe I need to join Laura's group or a different community so that I can continue to heal. But it's not just that my diet isn't perfect enough. Yeah. And finding within that, like a way that you can think that you would enjoy doing this long-term in a way that's healthy for you and not being so scared of like having some asparagus occasionally or having something. I I can't moderate fruit. I mean, I've talked about that over and over again, but if you can have a few berries and keep it to a small amount and not let it affect your health negatively, then, then do those things. Like we don't, what there, there is a way to, you know, have this be an elimination diet, but there's not a way that that somebody should be able to tell you on what the perfect way thing is for you to eat long-term, right? That's going to be different for everybody on what you can tolerate and what makes you feel good and, uh, and what bothers you. Before we wrap up with this book conversation, we had Laura be part of the book as, I mean, one, we had cutting against the grain and she's my friend. So I really wanted her to help with the recipes. So maybe if you could share a little bit about the recipes you included and, Yeah. So a lot of it is just like, actually, like when Judy and I talked, she's like, do you want to like, 
do the the recipes. And I was like, well, I don't really do recipes. Like, I don't have a carnivore I think you do. bread. I think you do. Well, that's, that's what I'm <laughs> well, saying. Like, I don't have these hack recipes, replacement recipes. I don't have carnivore bread. I don't have carnivore ice cream. I don't have carnivore whatever, like all of these different things, like those are not replacement foods. I don't have carnivore treats, recipes, right? Things that you would think that are a recipe. What I do is cook meat in techniques, right? Like we cook a piece of meat and using temperature and understanding uh, doneness and understanding internal temperature and oven temperature. Like those are all things and techniques of how to make chicken skin crispy and how to make steak juicy. And so that is what I'm excited. I think that a lot of carnivore recipes typically are these like replacement things or things that involve like a lot of specialty ingredients and a lot of work. When in reality, most people who are successful doing carnivore find really simple things to eat. It's like some of these recipes are one ingredient, right? It's just right. telling you how to cook a roast or how to cook a steak. And yet I add a bunch of spices and you can add those things. I think we listed some things as optional, but for the most part, you know, you can cook these things very simple. There's some recipes that use like cheese as a seasoning or like as a coating on things, but it really can be that simple. And I'm glad that hopefully this shows people that it doesn't have to be this elaborate meal planning or this really involved recipe. It's just about learning how to cook a piece of meat very deliciously. I honestly don't think I would include that in um, the other uh, crafty recipes, as you say, as replacement foods, because that is just trading for me, that is trading one disorder for another. And right. so I wouldn't honestly include that in a beginner. It's crazy. Like if we're saying it's, it's almost like those vegans that are like, I don't eat meat, but I make a plant based meat patty, Burger. right? Yeah. So it's just if you when I was plant based, I ate mostly salads. I didn't eat these. I mean, once in a while, I have a Boca burger, but generally speaking, I ate the plants. If you're going to do carnivore, I would hate to be saying a beginner's guide is finding different ways to create carnivore bread and carnivore, those brown butter bites and having desserts like that. It's That's not what I'm saying is rooting carnivore as a healing elimination tool. And so I would never include those types of recipes. And I think what you shared is exactly spot on as to if you want to heal and thrive and be on a carnivore-ish diet long-term, you have to enjoy the meat. Simple as that. It's just enjoying the varieties of meat uh, without all these uh, creative... And you can always do those other things, but... Um, but just I don't know, I mean, ever... I would, a lot of those things, I hear a lot about people binging on these butter bites or eating full loaves of that egg white bread in one sitting or the egg white bread didn't actually taste good. So then they went and ate real bread. Like I would right. do that. And that's why I've never made that egg white bread because it would just be Same. like, well, that's a disappointment. I need real bread now. Um, I think, you know, Judy and I are so different in how we approach food in a daily life. And Judy is like a food for fuel person. And that's yes. fantastic, Right. Food has always been addictive to me and it's been for enjoyment and happiness and pleasure. And like, I have to be able to enjoy the food that I'm eating every single day. And if you told me that I had to force myself to use food for fuel and break all of that, it would have, I don't think I could have gotten there. I still am not there in all of the healing I have done with food addiction. I still am not in this place where I can just eat something for fuel that I don't enjoy every single day. And a huge part of this being sustainable for me is learning how to cook meat deliciously and be getting really good at it and, and enjoying that. And I think that's important for people who you don't have to force yourself to eat a bunch of food that you don't like or boring meat every day. You can enjoy everything that you're eating 
and make that a hobby or an experience, you know, on a carnivore diet is just learning how to cook delicious meals that then fill that part of you that is looking for food for enjoyment. Like that's okay. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I I honestly think that if I cooked the way that you and Chris do, Kevin would be more carnivore-ish. I I, I honestly believe that, but sorry, that's not who I am. And I, I don't think most people are wired like me and I fully acknowledge and recognize that. But the way that I approach carnivore is as a healing tool. So when I use it as a healing tool, I'm not going to put, here's a temporary bread you can use, right? So even in the carnivore cures elimination protocol, if we create a cookbook, it's going to be all nourishing ways. And it's not going to be these fancy elaborate stuff. It'll just be, here's what you can eat during phase one. Here's the seasoning. Maybe you can add in phase two. And it's really just that simple. But because I come from an area that we are trying to use carnivore for healing. Yeah, there's a, to me, that's different. We're like, I'll sit down and have this amazingly pleasurable experience like eating a steak. But if I was to make brown butter bites, I might eat the whole pan in right. one sitting. And to me, that's like an addictive nature. So it's kind of a balance of, and that's different. Some other people can have one little one and it's not a big deal. And they enjoy it as a treat after their meal, the same way that some people can with like keto chocolates and, and other treats like what the way that I live my life is going to be different than the way that somebody else does and what they eat every day. But I don't know, this kind of goes back to if you see people online that are claiming to be perfect, or I'll say this, like a lack of confection, uh, uh, a lack <laughs> of confession is a claim of perfection, mm-hmm. right? I'm very careful to try to admit to people that I'm not perfect, nor is my goal perfection at this point. But I also am not trying to trigger other people or give them permission to eat those things. But simply me, if I was to never say I never eat anything else that's not carnivore, that lack of admission would be me claiming that I'm perfect and giving people the assumption that I'm perfect. And I try very careful that people don't think that I'm claiming to be perfect. But there are people out there who use their lack of confession as a, a way to try to act perfect. Yeah, it is hard. It's it's tough because if you, you know, when we say that it's not just carnivore and over time people can figure out what they want to reintroduce, which then says for as a beginner, you could say, oh, well, then I just never need to get broccoli off my table because maybe broccoli's fine, right? right. And it's just, it becomes a sticky situation, but I, I get it. It's hard um, when we're all sharing content pieces, it becomes really difficult. But I agree when people show just perfection by omission, I guess, um, that makes sense. And it makes it seem like, but how come these other people can do it for 20 years and I can't? Even if you are not a beginner, um, I hope that you support this book so that the way that the algorithm works, I think for Amazon is the more sales or pre-sales there are, the book will rank up. And again, it's always a numbers game. Um, And if Amazon sees, oh, this book has so many pre-sales, this book will probably sell and they will take more in their shipment uh, facility. So they'll have more on deck and they'll want to sell it more. So they'll sponsor yeah, it. More. So think about who this could be a good Christmas gift for, or who in your life would maybe be starting a it's January 1st seems like a long way away, but it's actually not like think about who's going to kick off world carnivore month and want access to this information. Um, you know, this is coming out like right after Christmas and a lot of people are looking to make health changes and improvements um, in January. So who in your life could you gift this to, uh, as well as getting one for yourself? 
Yeah, and I forgot to mention, um, so there are pre-sale gifts um, that will be provided. There was a couple recipes from you, Laura, that were cut. And then from me, I had one, my air fryer steak. <laughs> because <laughs> I was not going to be the one to tell people how to make an air fryer steak. So that got cut too, but it will be part of the bonus um, if you purchase the pre-sale. There's a few goodies that you get. Cool. Thanks, guys. Okay, we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>